My name's Allison Caldwell. I'm a botanist. I work in Yosemite National Park. Sitting in this beautiful spring slope of gold fields and dwarf lupin and bird's eyes and red maids and fringe pod on a beautiful April afternoon. Yosemite is a great place to be a botanist. The diversity because of the different rock types, the different elevations, the mountains, the river valleys, it all leads to a great abundance of species and plant communities. I guess it's kind of, for me, a smorgasbord of wildflower displays. The landscape's nice too, but it's, it's just habitat as far as I'm concerned. My name is Shelton Johnson. I'm a park ranger in the Division of Interpretation and Education here in Yosemite National Park. When I think of wildflowers, I think of concentrations of color, concentrations of life. I mean, it's just as if life itself is being focused right in these little pockets in the soil alongside a tree. I mean, they're just uh, bits of color. It's almost like the stars fell out of the sky and they're right there in the ground looking back up. Plants to me are the great synthesizer. They show you how the, the waters and the climate and the topography and everything that's going on gets kind of synthesized into why this plant is here at this one spot. There's so many connections and that's what gets really exciting is the connections. I need to step back every once in a while because I'm, I'll be walking around trying to remember the scientific name of something and every once in a while I can just put that aside and it just hits me. There's something gut level that just connects you. For me, it's, it's the beauty and the color. Beauty, of course, and the incredible diversity and in floral structure. Um, color, shape, I mean, it's just a natural attractant. We resonate so much with color and form. You look at a whole field like this and it's just the mass of color and display and the thousands of individuals participating in that. And it's almost like the earth itself is overdoing it. The earth is just displaying, look what I can do with a palette, with the spectrum, by just having all of these different variations on just the color red or just the color yellow or just the color blue. We might appreciate the display, but we're, it's not meant for us really. It's really designed for the eye of the insect. It's tied into the fact that they're depending on another organism, a bee, a, a butterfly, some other animal to, to be their love messenger for them, to bring pollen from the male flower to the female flower. Well, I mean, there's the flower, and then there's the insect that comes in that's drawn by the flower, and then it goes into drink the nectar, and then there's the pollen that moves up alongside the insect and it goes to another flower. Well, there at that point you can start playing violins. You know, it's romances in the air. Actually, romance in that case is right alongside the, the insect itself as it's moving in to get a meal. You know, and it's an interesting thought that flowers themselves become gifts, become a means of, of forming or forging a relationship or, or telling someone that you love them. Why is it that flowers have been such perfect subject matter for painters, for centuries. There's so much cultural connections with flowers, and not just one culture, but, but human cultures all across the world, recognizing the flower as something that is part of the earth, but that we can grab hold of and give it to another. Enid Michael 
was one of the few women ranger naturalists in the early days of Yosemite National Park. And when I think of Enid Michael, I basically think of one thing, her passion for flowers. When people thought about wildflowers in Yosemite Valley in that time, it would be difficult to not think about Enid Michael because she was the caretaker, she was the ambassador, she was the spokesperson, she was the poet, she was all of those things. Enid would pick flowers and display them in front of the visitor center and she wanted to bring the flowers to the public so they, they could have a complete understanding of the flora of the park. She did a lot of exploring. She and her husband were both avid mountaineers, rock climbers, and uh, during her climbing outings, she would collect plants and she's discovered quite a few species that weren't known to exist here. The Yosemite onion is a big showy onion. It grows on mountain tops and cliff tops around here and it's known to have a really restricted distribution to just a few sites and it was something that Enid Michael discovered. She describes how it was so pungent when she carried it back with her that she was followed by a stream of bottle flies behind her that were following the smell. And she pressed the onion in her plant press and it went on to sprout out the side of it. But it turns out it was a new species when they finally identified it. We've gone back recently, a couple years ago, to try and resurvey the population she found and ended up climbing up cliff face to try to get to it and then after a whole day of climbing discovered that we were about three weeks too late and they'd all dried up and gone to seed so we've got to go back sometime. It's not easy getting out to these unusual habitats and unusual places in the elements looking looking for what we need to look for. It takes a tough person, man or woman, to be a botanist. You can spend a whole lifetime learning the plants here, and I'm just starting to learn them, and I'm not ashamed of that. In fact, I like that idea. I'm not going to get bored anytime soon. Or over the other hillside from in back of us, there's probably a dozen things that I have no idea what they are. We'll sit down with a field guide and figure them out, or if it's not in there, we might get really excited about that. Allison, she has a special talent. There's a lot of variation in plants, but Allison knows what is meaningful variation and what is just your average variation that you see out there. So she walks this earth with, with a special eye. Well, quite honestly, I'm not sure how she does it. <laughs> but she studies the ground a lot and studies the flora a lot and has a sense to pick up something that may be different and bring it back and study it. A couple of years ago, we found an orchid that was new to science, as it turns out. We made a specimen of it, took it back, looked at it more closely, couldn't figure it out, sent it out to an expert to look at. He couldn't figure it out. That's at what point we got really excited about it. So seeing it in the flesh like that, he took one look at it and said, oh yes, this is entirely different. We need to write this up right away. This is a new species. We described that and put it into print and it's got a new name now. It's the Yosemite bog orchid in the honor of the Yosemite because that's the only place that it grows. 
There are unique plants in Yosemite, plants that you can't find any place else, not just in the Sierra Nevada, but any place else in the world, like the Yosemite bog orchid. It is a Yosemite bog orchid. It's not a sequoia bog orchid. It's not a Rocky Mountain bog orchid. It is a Yosemite bog orchid. So its entire universe is rooted right here in this soil, in this history, in this landscape. There's other things like that out here, I know. They just haven't been discovered yet. Yosemite's really big, you know, 1,200 square miles, and there's only two or three roads through parts of it. So it really is still wilderness and relatively unexplored. So for me, it's like a candy shop, you know? <laughs> there's lots of stuff out there that uh, is waiting to be discovered. So that, that makes the job exciting.